0: Hey friends, welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. We hope you enjoy what you're listening to, and may you find peace and grace in all the words that are before you.
1: A rumbling of paper going on in the background, because I'm flipping papers around. There you go. Now you know the ins and outs of how put together and dialed in this church is. Uh, so last week we looked at the passage of how Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are these highly religious uh, people. They were leaders in their community, uh, Jewish leaders, and these Pharisees in particular showed up from Jerusalem. And they were kind of looking for ways to see what God, what, what Jesus was doing, if Jesus was doing anything appropriate or if he needed to be called out. Jesus was not having his students, his disciples, wash their hands as the tradition said they should. And, uh, and the Pharisees were very upset about that. And so Jesus then talks about this and pushes against their ideas that declaring cleanliness actually doesn't come from washing your hands correctly, but cleanliness comes from a humble and honest heart. It comes from this place where we see the mistakes we've made, we confess them, To each other and to our community, we repent of them before God, and then we let God work through us in spite of our previous life choices. The Pharisees believed that good standing with God was earned, and it was something that you behaved rightly for. But what Jesus seemed to want the people to understand and to see was that it wasn't about perfection towards God but it was about desperation for God. It was that state of that human heart that was desperate for God. And those who were desperate for the love of God were those who who, who were desperate for their meaning and purpose to be seen and understood. They were desperate for rescue out of their current situation. Rescue when desperate to, to know that God still cares that God's promises to never leave you or forsake you were actually still true, desperate to experience more of God. And I wonder how many of us feel a little desperate today. Are we feeling in that that state of desperation, that state of great need and overwhelming desire to experience what God has for you? Are you desperate for the comfort of God's presence, Or the peace of knowing how loved you are in your present state? Are you persistent in that desperation and seeking God because you know that God has more for you and you are demanding to experience that more? Today's passage that we're going to look at is about a woman who is annoyingly persistent towards Jesus because she was desperate. She didn't back down. She didn't give up. She didn't put on this air of perfection or cleanliness or purity like the Pharisees had because these passages are right next to each other for a reason. She didn't do anything to before she approached Christ. She didn't present herself perfectly because for her it wasn't about perfection. It was about desperation. So turn with me to Mark 7. We'll be in verses 24 to 30. In the beginning part today. So we just finished this whole thing where Jesus is with his disciples and the Pharisees are like, why aren't they washing their hands? And Jesus said, it's about what's going on inside the heart. And then it says that Jesus left that place, verse 24, 724, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman, whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Okay. (laughs) This passage makes me so uncomfortable (laughs) because it seems very uncharacteristic of Jesus, right? It's like, like when Jesus curses that poor fig tree that withers and dies, and you're like, what did the fig tree do to deserve that? Or when he goes ballistic in the temple... All those things have meaning we're not going to get into today, but it feels like in this passage, Jesus is kind of breaking character from his peace-loving, gentle, "Bring the children unto me and surrounded by ponies and rainbows, and he's wearing some sort of beauty pageant sash, and his hair's flowing behind him, and he just looks so comforting and kind. Man, this Jesus that we just read about isn't as easy to swallow. I want to whistle past this scripture. I want to awkwardly skip this piece. It's a, it's a hard one. And it raises questions for me like, why would Jesus call a pleading, hopeful mother who loves her child more than anything else in this entire world a dog, when he would gladly break bread and spend an evening eating dinner with women from the red light district? Why would he call this hopeful, pleading mother a dog when he would joyfully make the worst of sinners in that day, the thieving tax collectors, into one of his confidants and best friends? Jesus traveled to this area with his disciples in Galilee, and I I wish I had a map to show you, but... Imagine Galilee down here and he's like right on the top this is the Sea of Galilee if you could see it can you see it <laughs> and right up here is where Bethsaida is and this is where he was when he met with those with those Pharisees who accused him of not washing his hands properly he goes from there and he travels all the way up to the sea of, or to the, the Mediterranean Sea to the coast of this town named Tyre and then from there he comes up this way and then he comes back around and ends up over here which we'll get to that in a minute but it would be like Jesus or you traveling from the Bay Area and you need to get to Redding and you're like, well, why don't we just go through Eureka first on our way to Redding from the Bay Area? I mean, that would add like five or six hours to your journey. If you had no reason to be there, why would you take that sort of a space out of your journey to get to someplace that you don't need to go to? There is no reason for him to be there according to this text. From what we can gather... And yet he and his disciples leave their familiar surroundings. This, this area of Bethsaida is comfortable, it's familiar, it's, it's uh, Jewish territory. Everyone around them is Jewish for the most part. And they leave that area and that familiar surroundings and they head to Tyre, which is the known, best known for the, being the birthplace of Jezebel. And Jezebel was this Canaanite woman who married a Jewish king named Ahab? Some of you remember those stories in the Old Testament, and her influence toward the Canaanite ways of idol worship, towards this idol called Baal or Baal. This this idol that they worshipped was a god who demanded infant sacrifice, and had very sexually exploitative type of worship towards people. It this town represented. The evil that Jezebel was known for. That is what resided there. By the way, I've heard a lot of people use the name Jezebel. I don't know if you've experienced this, but use the name Jezebel as an insult to women. Yeah, women who stand up for themselves or women who might preach the gospel like me. (laughs) Uh, I've seen it where Christian women who are supposed to traditionally take that submissive role in home, and church, never allowed to even read the scripture in the church or lead or preach or teach men. Regardless of that, I don't think Jezebel is meant to be used as a slur or whispered about as a woman who might not fit that traditional mold. I, I think that Jezebel is a product of her environment. Yes. Yeah. Her name actually means Baal worshiper. She was living into who she was called from the very beginning. But Jezebel was somebody who hated God, who hated the God of Israel. She did everything she possibly could in her power to undermine God. Still, she was a product of her environment. She was raised in this purposeful way with a specific view of the world. And I wonder, honestly, I wonder if when Jesus was hanging on that cross and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. I wonder if he was speaking about people like Jezebel who was raised with a specific kind of understanding in a specific kind of way. Jezebel never had a change of heart. When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about washing their hands, but he's saying it's about your heart, Jezebel never experienced that change of heart and mercy. It's a difficult lens to view her through as the Father forgive them, that, that change of grace, through grace and mercy. But I think the point is, is that The grace and mercy of God goes all the way to Tyre, where it's commonly known that people who have been there, who live there, who come from there, are out of the purposes of God. This is where evil was born. Nothing good could come out of there. This is where the dogs of society lived. Some scholars believe that Gentiles or non-Jews, most of us in this room are Gentiles because we're not Jewish, uh, they were commonly called dogs during this time, and I'm sure it was offensive. it It was also probably a fairly common language among the Jews. I don't want us to get caught up on that terminology today. I think sometimes when we read this passage, we're just like, well, why would Jesus say something so offensive? I think it's important to ask that question, but there's a deeper undercurrent that's happening here than the seemingly offensive word. And what I want us to focus on today is when he says here in verse 27, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That bread portion. I want to focus on bread today. Bread uh, is used throughout the Bible to metaphorically represent so many things. We hear about bread, uh, and, and we hear about harvesting. We hear about planting, uh, and, and all of those sorts of language oftentimes represents the kingdom of God. We hear about in the Old Testament where there was an impoverished mother and Elijah the prophet comes upon her and he's starving. And she has a little tiny bit of flour and oil left, enough to make her son and herself a piece of bread before she died, before they starved to death. And Elijah says, feed me too. And God blesses this woman and the flour and the oil never run out. We see bread being used where Jesus calls himself the bread of life. We see Jesus breaking bread with his disciples, declaring, this is my body broken for you. Bread holds weighty meaning. So when Jesus seems to admonish this Gentile mother by saying that there's not enough bread to go around, we can easily miss that deeper undercurrent of God's grace that was happening in that moment. Bread was a staple food. It was made from wheat and barley. It, it was loaves of bread were made every day for the family table. It was a lengthy process with great intention. It wasn't something that you could just go to Winco and buy that loaf and have enough for everybody. It was something that took a long time. Danielle makes our our communion bread almost every week and she sees it as like a spiritual process because it is a spiritual process to make bread. It takes all day. But back then, they had to pick the grain. They had to thresh it. They had to grind it into some sort of meal. They had to add the water and the yeast and then mix it all together and let it rise in the warmth of their kitchen. And then they had to punch it down and let it rise again. And then they had to put it on hot coals that also needed very specific types of tending to make sure the coals were the right temperature as not to burn the bread or to cook it too slow. Everything was made with intention. And every day, new bread was made. Enough for the family, for the workers, for anybody who might show up around the table for a meal. There weren't preservatives during that time, and so they couldn't just like wrap it in plastic wrap or put it in a baggie and hope for the next day it's just as fine to keep it fresh. Bread was created and baked and eaten every day. So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in that Lord's Prayer that many times we pray here, he said, give us this day our daily bread. It revealed how bread was made and baked and given every day. Whatever wasn't consumed in that day was used to then feed the animals. Giving the bread to the animals, it wasn't like this afterthought or some sort of inconvenience They would give the bread to the animals because the animals were important too. They would make enough to then give out to their animals. She says, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. I think what we're seeing here is that in God's kingdom economy, there's always enough. And this desperate mother's persistence was to remind the disciples and I think even remind Jesus and certainly remind us today that God is not rationing off the kingdom like there's a limited amount to God's grace or God's love or God's delight to share. Yeah, there is always enough when we are desperate enough to see. I think Jesus went to Tyre, to this area of Tyre, to help create a word picture for his disciples. I think he wanted to undo generations of righteous, of like godly hatred towards and prejudice towards these Gentiles that were living there. And this prejudice and hatred didn't just live in Tyre. It lived within the disciples. It was rooted in them. They were also a product of their own environment and upbringing. And I think that Jesus wanted his disciples, who would eventually take up his calling, to see how God's kingdom would be open to everyone everywhere, even the historically morally corrupt. Not just to those who obey the words and the law perfectly, but for those who also seek God desperately. And so he takes them to Tyre, to this Gentile region, almost for no reason than to help them undo this prejudice baked into their bones like bread was baked every day. To help them see that there was another way that God was moving through Jesus. So I want to look for a minute about why there was such a deep distrust between Jews and Gentiles during that time. Before we get there, any thoughts so far? Anything coming up? Yeah, Haley. Um,
0: it's kind of like, I don't know, a different viewpoint of how I've always seen this story. Um, well, first, like, uh, you know, the Bible, the Word of God is full of promises. For, mm. You know, us who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. So. Healing is the children's bread. That's one of the things I've always like believed when I have like any kind of sickness, you know, because that's a promise. I mean, Jesus said it. But I just love the stories that show like people's tenacious, like pitbull faith. Mm. You know, like the, the the guy who ripped the the roof off to get down. It was like yeah. that woman. I could just visualize her just being so determined that no matter what, yeah. she was gonna get what she came for. You know? Yeah. It's just like it's just like her faith was just. Or belief no matter what it looked like because yeah. a lot of times for us it looks like you know things are so impossible but if we just don't give up you know yeah I just love the tenacious spirit of that woman
1: yeah. Just to me. yeah that double-fisted sort of space yeah. faith where you're yeah. holding on with both hands mm-hmm. yeah yeah marta
0: my head and laughing because I'm thinking like you know we're we live in it here in Hubble. You know what I mean? Like the minute you say that you're Christian, all of a sudden you feel persecuted. Mm. I, mean, I know it's happened to me, but I don't care. And I just keep you know rising up and rising up. And at first I thought it was oh because I'm brown. Mm. But now I know it's because I have the spirit of Jesus. Right. And conversely, you know I've met other people Yeah. And even
1: my teacher told me, she says, stop talking about who you are, just be that. And I thought, oh my God. Mm. Yeah. Hello. yeah, that's good. Stop talking about who you are, just be it. Yes, <laughs> I love that. All right, well, um, I'm going to keep moving on here. It says, yeah, I, what, I was, what I was thinking about this with Tyre and with, with the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles during this time, I wondered why there was so much hate towards each other or distrust. And I love biblical history. I feel like it helps me understand the Bible better. It helps me know who God is a little bit better, this God that we believe in as revealed through the Bible. But has anybody here ever read the Old Testament? Yeah. 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 It's um, that overarching storyline of the Old Testament. The overarching storyline is actually really beautiful and true. But but the, the those specific stories, that you read in there, the ones that, like, really you remember very well, were they, like, super uplifting for you and encouraging? Some of them are, but, man, some of them, they're gnarly. There's some crazy stuff in the stories in the Old Testament, like the the story of Jericho. If you all remember, we're, like, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, <laughs> and the walls kind of blown down. And we made it into, like, this really great celebrative thing in Sunday school where where the walls come down, and everybody's happy, and they're, like, throwing a parade. It wasn't like that. Like in that story that we read in the Bible, the walls come tumbling down, and then it looks like God commands everyone to go through, for Israel to go through and put the sword to every man, woman, child, infant within those spaces. Man, this is in the name of God, portraying God as this warrior God, or the story of the judge Jephthah. I don't know if you know about this one. This is where Jephthah made a vow to God. That whoever walked through his door next, he would put to death. He would sacrifice to God so that way the Israelites might win a battle against the Gentile Ammonites. And his daughter walked through that door. And he sacrificed, he killed his daughter for God. All because Israel believed that to obey God meant to kill the Gentiles around them. To live in the land promised to them, all original occupying tribes must leave. To be faithful to God and not fall prey to idol worship, the Gentiles around them had to be killed. And this prejudice and this hatred towards each other was baked into them over generations. But when we look through the Old Testament through the eyes of Christ, when we... As Christians, Christians, we we look at the Bible through something called a Christocentric lens. It means that we're looking through all the passages of Scripture through the lens of Christ as God in flesh, Jesus Christ. So Jesus reveals who God actually is. If we believe that Christ is God in flesh, then we we will begin to not see a God of hatred ready to smite the enemies, but a God of love willing to make a way when it seemed like there was no way to be had. And when we read these ancient stories, and we view God as revealed through Jesus, what I see is that these stories do not contain the last word of God. Jesus in his context, you guys, Jesus as we, reveal through, as we read through the, for the scriptures, is also not the last word of God. Remember how he said to his disciples, That one day when he would go, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, his very spirit would come in his place. And that when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when Jesus is invited into our lives, when we say yes to following Jesus in all areas of our lives, the spirit of Christ then dwells within us. To where we are the last word of God. The church speaks out the truth of God in every context. You as individuals have a word from the Lord. The church has a bigger word together. This is why we are meant to gather together in the name of Jesus. Week after week in all of life. The word of God continues forward through faithful Christians willing to be the enticing aroma of the bread of life. Let's keep going. All right. Uh, we are actually going to skip the next section, Jesus Heals the Deaf and Mute Man, and we'll do that with the blind man, which is, a it'll be interesting with all sorts of ableism type stuff, because um, it is, it's a, it's a hard passage. We'll do that next week. Right now, we're jumping to chapter 8, verse 1, and we'll go to verse 21, because I believe these connect. During those days, another large crowd gathered, Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Okay, you guys, seriously, do you remember like three chapters back when Jesus fed the 5,000 all that bread, and they're like, where are we going to find bread? How's this going to happen? I love that so much. It's so true, because I'm, I'm like the most forgetful person ever. I forget that God's good all the time, and, you know, that, right there with the disciples. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, uh, they, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to, dis- to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he sent them away, he got into a boat and his disciples with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanitha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. (laughs) Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? This uh, passage that we just read was the one we actually went through in Bible study on Thursday night. It was this really rich discussion. It was incredible. About like what faith looks like and what it looks like to be desperate for God. It, it, it talked about... Um, oftentimes how, how we it's difficult to experience that sense of desperation for God when we're coming from a place of privilege. Like when all your needs are already met, it's hard to experience that desperation for God. We talked about the sign from heaven that the Pharisees wanted from Jesus, and we wondered that if it meant simply seeing God actively working in the world where signs are all around us when we have eyes to see. Someone mentioned how those in the crowd were being fed on the words of Christ for three days while soaking in the miraculous. They were experiencing the miraculous before the miraculous even happened. And that word three there is placed intentionally to help the reader remember the three days that Jonah was in the belly of the whale and the three days that Jesus was in the tomb, bringing it backwards to Jonah, but also projecting us forward to Christ. And someone else said how Jesus meets people's physical needs with food, while at the same time meeting their spiritual needs. That's why church potlucks are so important, you guys.
0: <laughs>
1: but Mark is very strategic with the way that he set up his scripture. The way that he set all of this up, he goes from that inner life that Jesus was talking about, juxtaposed with the with the outer life of perfection. And then he goes into Tyre to this this woman who has no goodness on her outer life, but is desperate inwardly. And then from there, he goes to this space of the the feeding of the 4,000. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he was in Jewish territory, where most everyone in the crowd would have been Jewish. The 12 baskets left over represented the 12 tribes of Judah, or the 12 tribes of Israel, And theologians believe that it represented this this abundance of God towards Israel where God provides for people not based on their perfection towards God, but based upon their desperation for God. But when Jesus fed the 4,000, he wasn't over here next to Bethsaida in Jewish territory. He came from Tyre and came all the way over here to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which was Gentile territory. Or mostly everyone in the crowd would not have been Jewish. The seven baskets left over represented the seven tribes that occupied the land that God had, pro- had promised to Israel, the Gentile tribes. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 7 in the Old Testament, or you can just listen as I read it as well. But I just want you to know that I'm not lying. <laughs> 7 verse 1. All right. We think Moses wrote this, and he wrote, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. What Jesus did here... What Jesus did, going to the Gentile territory, meeting this woman, saying there is enough for even you, and then going to this other location where it was mostly Gentiles, Jesus didn't undo the hate and fear of the past, but he brought about an opening in the present for people to begin to see that God meets the needs of those who are desperate for God the stories in the Old Testament pages, the things that we read that are disturbing and difficult in so many ways, I believe they are included in the canon to reveal the story of humanity, like our need for the God of peace and grace. And they remind us how quickly we see the worst in other people that are different than us. They remind us how quickly we stop trusting in God's provision or how quickly we are to believe that we're better than or more deserving than another person. They remind us that God can't be boxed into some sort of place by saying that God is only for this kind of people. Because when we see in the Old Testament, what we see is the storyline of Christ includes Rahab the Canaanite. It includes Ruth the Moabite in his storyline. We find a God willing to go leaps and bounds to save the Assyrians who were so much worse than the Canaanites through Jonah. We read of God imploring Israel to care for the foreigner in her midst, to live lives marked by mercy, justice, peace and humility for all people. The good news, the good news is that God's in God's kingdom, there is enough bread to go around where everyone will eat and be satisfied. The good news is that no matter what your history is or the wrongs you've done or the wrongs that have been done to you, those generational lines that determine how you see yourself isn't the last word about yourself. The good news is that Jesus will always travel out of the way to encounter the one willing to persist, the one desperate for something that seems out of their reach. So may we be so focused on Christ. May there be this constant persistence within us as a church and as individuals towards Jesus and his open and inviting presence that perfection towards God doesn't guide us, but desperation for God does. May you be so desperate for the love of God. May you be so desperate for God's guidance and purpose. May you be so desperate for Jesus, for the bread of life, who invites you into this life-giving relationship with the Father, who always satisfies even in the midst of life's chaos, and who is more than enough for everyone. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we thank you for the reminder of of what bread is for us, that this simple meal that we'll take in a moment through communion, this this bread of life, that we get to consume all that you represent into our lives once again. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of abundance, that you are a God of goodness, but it is not simply for one person or one people, it is for all people. So may we never hoard or keep or take, but may we be people who get enough so we can give. May we be people who are open to being used by you, where you pour your life into us so we can pour our life back out. May you use us, God, as a conduit of your grace for all people, the people we may even have prejudice towards. May you break our hearts for what breaks yours. It is for your glory that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So every week we uh, go into a time of response. We go into God's word because we know that God, God's word changes people and reveals things that are within us that we have not seen or we refuse to see. <laughs> so we go into God's word and then we allow time to respond to God's word. We respond through singing songs together. We respond through worship, through uh, communion. We respond through prayer. It's our time just to be aware of God's presence, to turn our attention back to the Lord. And then we'll close our time with a blessing. We stand all together in a in a circle and we'll close off that way. Let's worship Jesus together.